If we haven't met before, my name is Justin, uh, and I want to extend my welcome to you as well this morning, uh, especially to those of you who are are new here at GBC this morning. Um, As always, it really is just such a privilege to not only be gathered together on this Lord's Day, but also to open up God's Word with you all. Um, Parents, I'll try to be kind to you this morning, okay? Last week of school holidays, hang in there. Um, If you have your Bibles with you, yeah, please turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, It'll be also up on the screen for us. Um, Yeah, Tony kindly already has read a big chunk of our passage this morning, uh, so let's pick it up from verse 34, and then I'll pray. Acts 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Gracious Father, how we need your help as we come to your word. We need your help by the power of your spirit, not only to rightly understand what it is that you are saying, but also, more importantly, to be transformed into the image of Christ. Would you please be pleased to do that amongst us this morning? Would you help us to rightly understand and also for our hearts to be softened so that they may be molded and changed by you so that we would be a people that would bring you glory, Lord? We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you ever had to try out for something? Uh, Maybe not necessarily for like a footy or a soccer team, uh, but what about even for a job interview or an application to get into university or for a house? I mean, there's a few situations in life where you really feel the pressure to kind of pull yourself together, right? And to present for something that totally depends on your abilities and performance in order for you to make the cut, in order for you to be accepted or in order for you to be included. And once you're in, how good does it feel, right? Success, accomplishment. 
And there's this sudden shift in your identity. All of a sudden, you're now that person who lives in that suburb or goes to that university or works in that company. But if we're we're not careful, there's a sense in which we can start to look down our noses at other people, can't we? Because of our tall poppy syndrome in Australia, it can be just so subtle, but sure enough, when we belong to a certain group of people, we can be quick to treat differently those who are unlike us. We like to joke about the difference, you know, between those living in the north and those living in the south of Perth, or, you know, the difference between Dockers and Eagles fans, they can definitely rile each other up as well. But those prejudices that are far more deeply ingrained in us, they can be hard to recognise, can't they? And this was true for the Apostle Peter as well. So much so that he needed a revelation from God to appear to him three times to open his heart and mind to see the fullness of all that God is doing. And that is that God is in the business of making common people clean. Go back with me in your mind's eye to the year 1400 BC. Uh, We're part of the Israelite people who were gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai in in Leviticus 11, and we're listening to God's chosen prophet Moses and his chosen priest Aaron. And we're listening to them speak all that they have been commanded to say by God. And the key message in the midst of all these purity laws that are going to coming before us is this, that if you don't keep them, you're considered common, defiled, and unclean. Some of these purity laws, they're a little easier to keep, right? Like you can't eat certain birds or reptiles. I think most of us could probably get past that. Some are a little bit harder. You know, hypothetically, one might be able to abstain from eating pork and bacon. Um, that's not me, but maybe that's you. Uh, others are, are near impossible though, right? Both men and women alike in their bodily discharges were considered unclean. Those who contracted leprosy, something they had no control over, were considered unclean. And in your uncleanness, you were to be kept separate, excluded from all the people until such a time that you can be cleansed through a certain type of sacrifice or washing. How do you feel? Probably a good deal of pressure, right? To make sure you toe the line as best as you can. Because you see, your very identity as one of the people of God and and your reputation as someone who could come near to God and to worship Him at the tabernacle was at stake. While to be common was to be defiled or unclean, to be holy was to be set apart for true worship. And so Israel was formed and shaped and ingrained with these laws about how to remain holy and clean before the Lord and how to deal with those who were not. For centuries and centuries, generation after generation, they were raised in these laws so that they might be a people who were set apart from all the other nations around them. And when they didn't, there was judgment and discipline from the Lord. So back to Peter and his vision. He's commanded to kill and to eat from kind of animal on this sheet. So perhaps we can understand now his his response a little better, right? By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. 
Peter, I think, rightly says, Lord, how could I? I didn't even want to be unclean before the salvation Jesus won for me on the cross, even more so now. And yet three times this vision appears to Peter. And Peter, he's perplexed. He cannot figure out why on earth God would command him to do such a thing. And as he wonders about what he is saying, the Spirit tells him to accept this invitation that these three men are about to bring to him. You see, while Peter's been having this bizarre experience, so too Cornelius has had this vision of his own as well. Cornelius is a centurion from the Roman army, which meant that he oversaw a hundred men, which makes it totally, absolutely fascinating that he's described as a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to people and prayed continually to God. And giving alms and prayer, uh, these are the two primary ways that one would serve and worship God, and Cornelius did this in a devout manner. But he's not labelled as a proselyte, that is, a true convert to Judaism. Cornelius was not considered as part of the people of God because he had not been circumcised, and he would not have been able to offer sacrifices or to worship at the temple. He would have only have been able to go to that outer section, that one where Jesus that part where Jesus overturned all the tables of the money changers. But he served and feared God nonetheless, with his prayers and his arms having ascended before God as a memorial. Now we ought not to assume that prayer and good works alone are what saved Cornelius, but that it was these things done in faith that had God bring Peter to declare the message of salvation to his household. So Cornelius obeys the message from the angel and he sends for Peter. And Peter goes with the servants and that's where we pick up the story in verse 24. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. And as he talked with him, uh, but Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So, In the midst of uh, these things being clean and unclean, an important distinction does need to be made. And that is that when Peter says it's unlawful for a Jew to visit or to associate with anyone from another nation, he's actually referring to, to the traditions that his elders have been put in place and not the Levitical law. For there's nothing in the Levitical law that prohibits Jews from associating with Gentiles, but it's very likely this would have been one of the more helpful traditions that the Jews would have kept to, because it's so difficult to remain clean and pure in the presence of Gentiles, right? Who are all kinds of unclean, according to the Levitical law. And so Peter's conclusion is, well, I cannot call any person common or unclean. Only God can. And so I'm able to associate them. 
So I think at this point, I don't think that Peter's all the way there to thinking that Gentiles could be included in the people of God. Can you see how deeply ingrained this Jewish understanding was of how they are the people of God, holy and clean, and everyone else is unclean and common? I think Peter's understanding is about to come in the next few verses. So once Cornelius retells his vision and concludes that they are all there uh, in the presence of God to hear all that Peter has been commanded to say by the Lord, it's then that Peter says in verse 34, Ah, now I understand that God shows no partiality. Peter now sees the true meaning of the vision, that God is bringing that which was, that which was considered unclean into his kingdom through the gospel. Peter sees that God is in the business of making common people clean. This gospel, it's not only for those who are clean and part of God's people. It's not simply an upgrade of Judaism. It's not just the addition of Jesus. Even Cornelius, one who would have been kept outside the camp as someone who is unclean, God has considered him as one of his own, who is to be brought into the people of God through the preaching of the gospel. This is an incredible shift in salvation history. We cannot downplay this moment. Over 1,400 years of these purification laws, having shaped and defined the people of God, have been overturned in a moment. But this is what the Levitical law and the purity laws shadowed all along, wasn't it? The food laws and the discharge laws and the leprosy laws, all of them were pointing to the Israelites and ultimately humanity's greatest need, the forgiveness of their sin. God was not only interested in making them physically clean, but spiritually clean too. Because God is in the business of making common people clean. While it was through the purity laws then, now, as Peter says in verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. For ultimately, it is our sin against God that must be dealt with for us to be made clean and to be able to draw near to the presence of God and to dwell with his people. From the very beginning, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, they were removed from the presence of God in the garden. And then the sacrificial system was only an intermediate system, an intermediate means and a shadow of what was to come fully and finally in Jesus. You see, now in his name, can we receive forgiveness of sins? Through his sacrifice, which was once for all, can we be made clean, spiritually clean? So believe in him. Receive forgiveness for your sins through his name. Make today the day that you turn from your own efforts to try and make yourself right with God. Make today the day that you cease from delighting in the very thing, the very sin that hung your creator on a tree. 
and continue to walk each and every day from here on trusting in the only one that can make you clean. Jesus. God is in the business of making common people clean and it's through the gospel. And this gospel is the same for all people. See, Peter does not preach a different gospel to the Gentiles. It's the same gospel about Jesus' life and ministry, his crucifixion and his resurrection, and his appointment as Lord over all who will judge the living and the dead. Peter didn't hold out circumcision or purity laws. No, he held out Jesus, who is the good news of peace. And we see that it's the same gospel that brings salvation to the Gentiles as well because of what is written in Genesis 44 and through 46. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, I think it is very right for uh, these few verses to remind us of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2, where the disciples, they were waiting for the gift of the Spirit, which was promised by Jesus. And as it fell on them in what looked like tongues of fire, they all spoke in tongues of the languages of those in Jerusalem gathered for the festival. And in the same way that God proved the message of the gospel to those who received it in Jerusalem, so too he did it in Samaria as well, right? Do you remember back in chapter 8? Peter and John, they visit them after hearing that the Samaritans had received the gospel and they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so too, in this same way, does it happen at Cornelius' household as the gospel goes to the Gentiles for the first time. And I think this really helps us to make sense as to why they were speaking in tongues as the Spirit fell on them, doesn't it? For the sign of tongues, while it's not a descriptive thing, that is, it it ought to happen to all who truly receive the Spirit, no, it's rather a descriptive thing that we see especially as the gospel takes new ground. Jesus said that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? Do you see that pattern? That in each stage, if you like, of the gospel going out, do we see God acting in uniquely miraculous ways as a sign that salvation truly has come? So we need not be confused or discouraged by those insisting that you must speak in tongues to be saved. For what we see Luke recording for us is not prescribing a formula or a method, but he's rather describing the moment that God took new ground in his kingdom through the power of the gospel. Rather than adding something to the gospel, let us instead see this moment in salvation history as something truly incredible, that God has brought in those who for the longest time had been left out. No longer is it the purity laws or circumcision which mark out God's people as separate and holy. No, now we are marked by the very presence of God, his Holy Spirit, which he has given to us. 
God has set his mark, his very seal on us by his own spirit. Both Jew and Gentile now being brought together by the one spirit through the work of Jesus Christ. It is as Paul describes it in Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 16. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles has now been broken down. We who were far off, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were once considered unclean and common, separated from the people of God, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. This truly is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? The same gospel which is for all people. See, what Peter said before realizing the full truth of it, now we can say with even greater clarity, can't we? God has shown us that we should not call any person common or unclean. Which is to say, we ought not to consider anyone not worthy of receiving the gospel. Because the gospel is for all people. And this is different to say that salvation is for all people. That's called universalism, which we're not affirming, which says that every single person will be saved. No, it's that the gospel can and must go out to every kind of person. There is no exclusion. There are no limits. Jews and Gentiles, Africans and Asians, white and black, male and female, young and old, the gospel can and must go out to the ends of the earth. And God will, peep his, will bring his people back to himself through it. His people will be made up of every tribe and nation and tongue. And so the question is, will we join in God's work of the gospel going to the nations or will we stand in its way? Looking ahead into chapter 11, I think the response of some of the Jews can really shed so much light on our own hearts and actions. In chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, it says, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. This, I think, reflects Peter's understanding before he had this vision from the Lord, right? And before he witnessed 
Cornelius' response to the gospel, and before the Gentiles having received the Spirit. He didn't want to become unclean, whether it be by eating the wrong food or by associating with Gentiles. And by criticizing Peter, these Jews are implicitly expressing their deep-rooted prejudice that the Gentiles cannot and even ought not to be reached with the gospel. They probably thought that if the Gentiles were to, you know, to convert to Judaism first, then maybe they could have a meal with them, and maybe then they could share the gospel with them. Now, surely, I don't think that we would ever say uh, this kind of thing explicitly, would we? For the most part, I think that we do know that the gospel must go to the nations. We do know that we ought to be like the good Samaritan who loved his enemy, and unlike the religious leaders who crossed to the other side of the road. And even, you know, in, our, our, in culture and society, tolerance, you know, it's one of the greatest prized virtues of our society. So we would never actively speak against any person or group who is different from us. But I wonder, what about implicitly? How do we treat those people who are different from us, who make us feel uncomfortable, or who we don't really want to spend our time with? How do our lives and our actions express the conviction that it is the same gospel for all people? I've been really convicted this week that I am nowhere near intentional enough in reaching out to those who are unlike me. Uh, I've got a neighbour who's she's getting on in years and to be honest, she's just really grumpy at her family and you know the whole world around her. There's something always, you know, for her to complain about. And she'll ramble on about things and I'm just kind of left to stand there and listen. And while I have shared the gospel with her in the past, I've kind of stopped now. And I'm not as willing or eager to engage in conversation with her because it just isn't fun. (laughs) And because I'm left feeling uncomfortable, because she isn't like me, and because I don't really get on with her that easily... I've stopped sharing the gospel with her. And that just isn't okay. The gospel is for all people. And far be it from us to consider anyone unfit to hear the gospel. But it does go deeper than just being comfortable with someone though, doesn't it? This issue in Acts, it touches right on the heart of racism. We as Christians, we ought never to look down on a person from a different race or ethnic group and dismiss their need to hear the gospel. But the sad truth is, I think we do it far more than we realize or would care to admit. Interestingly enough, some of the latest statistics from the census um, shows that one quarter of people living in in the suburb of Gosnells, they label themselves ethnically as as Australian. So one quarter of people living in Gosnells are Australian. And over 50% of people living in Gosnells have parents who were born overseas. So Gosnells, and I think we can say Australia, is staggeringly multicultural, isn't it? and yet more and more so, unchurched. Which means that we, as the church, 
have a wonderful opportunity to reach those from all different nations with the gospel. You and I, we have been called into this work as ambassadors for Christ to take the gospel into all the nations. But we cannot merely um, rely uh, or show mental assent to this theological truth that God is in the business of making common people clean and that it is the same gospel which is for all people. No, we must be gripped with the reality of the glory of God and his love for all kinds of people which he is calling into his kingdom. We must be gripped with the biblical vision of the consummation of all things under Christ. We must make for ourselves a passion to see what is described in Revelation, that all people would give glory to God that he rightly deserves. Jesus Christ, he will sit forever on his throne. And his people who have been brought in from every tribe and nation and tongue, they will unceasingly praise him as he rightly ought to be. They shall sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to God and they shall reign on the earth. A little later on, John hears the number of the sealed 144,000 who are God's people. And the number is perfect. It's complete. There's no one missing. And they are sealed and protected so that they will be kept for the day of salvation and no eternal harm will be brought to them. And after hearing the number, it says in verse 9 that John looks and sees a great multitude a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's the same gospel for all people, church. So we must go. We must go to the nations with the gospel. For some of us, that'll mean giving up everything that we have here to go to unreached people groups. There are still thousands of language groups that have no access to the Bible in their own language. And I've, I've got countless, too many to count, sitting at home <laughs> in my own language. There are hundreds of people groups that have never even heard the gospel. Millions and millions who are perishing in their sin because they have not heard the gospel. May God stir your hearts, even now in this moment, that he might raise you up to go and to take the gospel to them. For others of us, it could like reaching out to those who have immigrated here to Australia, maybe teaching them English through reading the Bible or inviting them into your homes for a meal. But for all of us, it ought to look like going and knocking on our neighbor's door to talk to them, to love them, 
to find ways to have a conversation about the gospel. Because God is in the business of making common people clean. And it is through the same gospel, which is for all people. And so that we may join those who, after hearing Peter's testimony of the Spirit falling on the Gentiles, and glorify God. For he has granted repentance that leads to life. For he has made us and countless others clean who were once common. Let's pray. Father, would you please raise us up as workers of your gospel? For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Would you please give us a passion for those from every tribe, nation, and tongue to see them reached with the good news of your Son, Jesus? Would you be pleased to make us a church that is so caught up in the beauty of the gospel that nothing would stand in the way between us and the gospel going to every kind of person? Would you give us all the conviction and clarity to be bold and to take the gospel to our neighbours, to our city, and to the ends of the earth. Please make us more like Jesus through your word and by your spirit, for your glory and for our good. Amen.